Amen. Well, gosh, you guys enjoying this series? This has been, I think, so good, so relevant for us. Let me open us in a word of prayer. Lord, we just ask, God, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to the ways in which you can form us, form us, shape us in our work, God, the way that you place value on the work that we are involved in, God, and even the ways, Lord, that you uh, call us to invite you into our work, Lord. And I ask that this morning, Lord, you would just uh, encourage us, God, in our work, Lord. I ask that, Lord, if nothing else, God, we'd have a sense that you care about our work, Lord, and that you would encourage us, Lord. I know we need some of your encouragement this morning. So, God, would you give it to us? We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, there's a joke about uh, an employee who went into his boss's office and said, uh, hey, boss, uh, tomorrow we're doing some heavy uh, house cleaning, and my wife really needs me to, you know, get up in the attic and, and clear out the garage and, you know, just moving and hauling stuff around. Um, Sorry, we're shorthanded, the boss says. I, I can't give you the day off tomorrow. Thanks, boss. I knew I could count on you, <laughs> says the employee. I'll go, I'll go break it to the wife. Um, you know, I think we should start out by saying, like, for a lot of, for a lot of uh, people, they escape work going to work. Um, and I, I know that can so often feel like that's how it is if you're at home and you're working hard. Um, my wife, Jordan, she's just incredible. I mean, she, she uh, keeps up with the house, runs our finances, uh, runs a, a, a business, and does all that while taking care of a two-year-old. And by comparison, I'm just a pathetic excuse for a human being. And, but at least I'm self-aware enough to, to know that. Um, let's, uh, let's jump in today. We're talking about reaffirming work. And um, we've talked about how God, the scriptures, redefine maybe work for us and how work can be reframed, that it's um, maybe more so about contribution rather than compensation. And today we're talking about the value that work has and the value God has in work. And one thing I want to kind of say on the front end here is uh, we're reaffirming that work has value, but an important distinction is this, is that to say work has value is not the same thing as saying working makes us valuable, right? Um, Because God calls people to work to the degree that they're able and is healthy, (laughs) both for themselves and for their loved ones. Um, But we don't have value because of what we can create in our work. Instead, we're created valuable because God has made us in his image. We're made in the image of God, y'all. I mean, praise the Lord. Isn't that an incredible statement? Um, so the, the child with Down syndrome who puts away her toys and the CEO who directs a corporation have the same worth and value before God and both are reflecting the image of their creator as they participate in work. So we need to reaffirm the value of work and both uh, the place that God has in it. And I want to say again, it's been said several, multiple times now in this series, but by work we're talking about paid work, unpaid work. Um, We're talking about raising kids, uh, caring for a disabled family member, volunteer work, school work, all kinds of work that's unpaid as well. And so I just want to, again, just put that before us. So if you're in Christ Jesus, then there's a calling on your life to live as a disciple of Christ. 
you belong to Jesus. You're not your own. You belong to him. And wherever you are, you're called of God there. So I used to work, uh, I had a little stint where I worked at Starbucks. And I wouldn't say Starbucks was my calling in life. But while I was at Starbucks, I was called there. Because the calling is on your life. And that calling follows you wherever you go, wherever you spend your time. And a significant amount of your time is spent in work. Um, Can your career change? Absolutely. Many times, in fact, right? Does your calling change with every single career change? I'd say not really. I mean, if I were to leave full-time Christian ministry today and go into the business world tomorrow, my work would certainly change, but I wouldn't say my calling would dramatically change as a disciple of Christ in this world because the calling is on your life. So whether you work one job for 35 years or 10 jobs over the course of 35 years, the calling is on your life. Um, I want us to think about this interesting verse. Proverbs 18.9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. That's interesting. And I think that if it's true that a, a poor work ethic often pairs well with destructive behavior, maybe self-destructive behavior, then the opposite's also true, that diligence in our work often, not always, pairs well with a constructive life, a life that's beneficial to those around us. Um, we gathered this morning to come to this place for Christian worship because of a lot of work that had nothing to do with fullness, nothing to do with you guys, or us, um, or the staff, or the impact teams, or whatever else. Um, you got up this morning with the assistance of cell phones, maybe, that you didn't program. You put on clothes that you didn't make. You ate food that you didn't kill, pick, package, and transport. You uh, ground coffee beans from the tropics that you didn't harvest. You jumped into cars that you didn't build, and you ran red lights you didn't hang. All to get here with Christians from all over this metro Birmingham area at the same place, relatively around the same time, some stragglers, and then we all were able to worship together, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible. And all, so much of that happened without tons of work that was done by maybe the staff or the impact teams or anything having to do with us. And I think sometimes we, we so often easily forget how much we're constantly benefiting from tons of work from people that we're not even in relationship with. That work is valuable. Work is valuable. And because of that, our work matters to God. And God matters to our work. Um, That's, in many ways, um, one of the things I want to... Am I going going in and out? I can't really hear myself. Um, Am I good? Okay. Tim Keller makes this statement that, um, and I have it in your bulletins, that... um, The message we need to receive is that our work matters to God, and God matters to our work. Pretty simple, but you can see. Am I going out? All right. Did you all catch that? Um, We need to receive the message of how our work matters to God and how God matters to our work. Um, And the truth is this, is that there are going to be jobs that can be done in a Christian way. 
But that's not going to be true of every job. So Tim Keller, for example, asked the question, is there a Christian way to bake bread? No, you're pretty much going to bake bread the exact same way an atheist will bake bread. Is there a Christian way to do open heart surgery? There's probably just a right way and lots of bad ways. Right? There's not a Christian, going to be a Christian way of tearing out someone's uh, chest cavity and, you know, doing open heart surgery, right? So um, we have to admit that there's not going to be a Christian way of doing everything. But at the same time, Keller says, if you're a Christian playwright, then maybe you're not going to write plays the same way an atheist is going to write plays. So it's going to depend. Um, and so Keller says, we have to get rid of the simplicity of saying there's a Christian way of doing everything on the one hand, or saying that there's no work that should be affected by one's faith. It will depend, Keller says. Um, but we don't need to be pessimist either and say, well, God doesn't factor into my work because I bake bread the exact same way atheists bake bread. Because as a Christian, the question before you is always, how does God matter to my work? So if you're in the business world, um, or the sales world, or whatever, if you're in the business world, then you know that profit is an idol, which means that, pro- that profit presides over a lot of other good things, a lot of other things that are valuable and should be emphasized and that are under, underemphasized if profit is the idol that drives it all. Um, and that's going to be true if you're in the baking business, that God's value system will matter in how you conduct business. If you're in the art world, then you know that uh, self-expression is an idol. What really matters is that I'm true to myself and I express myself to the world, which we know creates lots of distortions in the world around us. So, it's going to depend. Um, and by the way, the, the full-time Christian ministry world is not spared from this either. I, I heard uh, Pastor Joel Brooks from Redeemer Church here in town speaking to some pastors and, uh, one time, and he said, and this really struck me, he said, you can tell when a preacher loves his sermon and when he loves the Lord. I remember being so convicted when I heard that. And, uh, you know, my, my prayer, my desire is that in my preaching, when people see me, they don't see someone who's just really in love with his sermon. Like, man, Gabe sure loves this sermon. Um, and I think it's okay for me to enjoy um, the craft of the sermon or whatever and the ways God's gifted me. But hopefully um, what people see is someone who loves God primarily, not someone who's in love with this sermon and it's so easy in every field to find our forms of idolatry. You know, we could say the same thing about self-promotion in almost any job field, um, we, especially highly competitive ones. We could say the same thing about, um, here's, here's one, what do you do when you get a little bit of power? Not even a lot of power. You just get a little bit more power in a workplace. How, how does that affect you? How do you treat others? How do you see yourself? How do you see others? Um, and if in any field, we can ask the question as a Christian, how does God matter to my work? Um, as Pastor Bart's been saying these past weeks, um, I think in the opening sermon, you know, the place you go on Monday morning, that's, your, that's probably your prim- primary place of worship. And if you're in the home, then your home is, is your primary place of worship, um, which again is why our, our work matters to God. God matters to our work. Um, 
Another thing I think we should think about is the fact that spiritual formation is happening all the time. Do y'all think about that? Spiritual formation isn't something that happens when you go to small group. Spiritual formation is happening all the time. It's happening in every, every aspect of your lives. Um, when you're at work, when you have leisure time, when you're around uh, the people you want to be around, when you're around people you don't want to be around. It happens in solitude. It happens in Christian community like this. In, in all of these settings, our, our souls are being formed as we are in these places where we do our living. And work, it's just a part, but it's a large part of where we do our living. So, for example, when your uh, coworker snaps at you, how you respond is a spiritual matter. The overflow of your heart will speak or plot your revenge or pray, <laughs> hopefully pray, um, or how you respond to your own outbursts is a spiritual matter, right? Are you quick to confess? Or is your tendency to kind of let time heal it, which is often just a way to let our pride play out, right? <laughs> um, a, a root of bitterness in your heart that can start growing, it can be nursed into a tree of bitterness, even if you've only ever smiled at your boss, and ask your coworker about her kids and their softball games. No matter your work, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's in the home or it's outside the home, it's in our work that the experience of spiritual formation is always a live issue. Because day after day, you and I are confronted with the spirituality of living in this world. Living as and living among the images of God himself in the world. So our work profoundly matters to God, and God profoundly matters to our work. Let me put up this quote by Leslie Newbegin. I love this quote. He says, the church's visible embodiment will be a community that lives by this story, a community whose existence is visibly defined in the regular rehearsing and reenactment of the story which has given it its birth. The story of the self-emptying God in the ministry of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I love this, this quote by Newbegin because, um, you know, what, when we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, what we're doing is in our prayers for the Bahamas, in our declaration of God's greatness in our song, in the prayer ministry that happens up front, in the ministry of the word, or in the sacraments. What, what are we doing? Well, we're rehearsing the story of the gospel and how it's transformed us in our midst. But guess what? As believers and as the church, we're not just called to put on rehearsals. We're called to go out into the world and reenact the story of the self-emptying God, Right? That's, that's what the visible embodiment of the church is to be, is that we're rehearsing the story of the gospel. Now God has transformed us and shaped our own communities, and then we reenact that in the world. And one of the primary places where we reenact that is in, the, in our workplaces. Psalm 127, it's a well-known psalm, but it, I think, intersects with work so profoundly. Psalmist writes, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake 
in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That phrase just strikes me, the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Um, this psalm, uh, the ancient uh, Hebrews who compiled the psalms attributed this psalm to Solomon. And if, if in fact, Solomon wrote this psalm, then the house uh, being built, the Lord's participating in, uh, more than likely is the temple um, that was built under Solomon's reign. Um, but I think even if Solomon didn't write this, this psalm, there's a sense in which God is taking part in all work uh, with builders and with watchmen who stay awake over the city. Um, it's this is the God who comes and joins us in our work. There's a um, German proverb that says, Pray as though no work could help, and work as though no prayer could help. You guys get this, this sentiment here, right? Um, that, you know, essentially, basically falls in the ditch of complete and utter dependence on God on one side um, in our prayer life, that we can't do anything at all. Nothing I do matters. Nothing I do moves the football forward at all. And then essentially, like, humanism on the other side. Um, and I think we can be more realistic than this. I don't think this is really the kind of prayer life we're supposed to have. I think we can acknowledge that we can do things. And I think we can acknowledge that um, God's in the midst of it all. It's more connected than this. Um, because I can't tell you how many times me and Jordan, you know, Jordan has, is a business entrepreneur. We've had conversations like, what is God's place in, like, starting a business? I mean, and Jordan will say things like, I mean, if I don't send out a newsletter to potential wholesalers, there's not going to be, like, one that's going to show up in their inbox from God, <laughs> right? I mean, like, I've got to create this newsletter. I've got to send it. I mean, it will not be there unless I do it, right? I mean, I don't think we have to have this sense of, like, they're, they're so disconnected. It has to be more connected um, than that. And so I think the question is, when we pray things like, and hopefully we've all had these kind of moments in our work of, like, God, I, I need you. That's a healthy prayer in work. Like, God, I need you. I can't do my job without you. Those are actually the kind of prayers I'm advocating. I'm not saying don't pray those kind of prayers. I'm saying we need to be praying, God, I need you. I can't do my job without you. But then the question I have is, well, what are we really saying when we say I can't do my job without you? Are we really saying that this to-do list is impossible without supernatural intervention? Probably not. An atheist could probably do that to-do list, right? We're not really saying it's absolutely impossible, right? What we're really doing is we're making a statement about our soul. We're making a statement about our desire for God to come, and in the words of Psalm 27, spare us from the bread of anxious toil, to shoulder some of the stress, to be in the midst with us in our work, for God to be incarnational in our Monday mornings, right? That's really what we're asking for, um, that I can't do this without you. And in many ways, we're uniting with the, the faith of verses like Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. That's what we're asking. We believe that, that this is who God is, a God who comes into our daily work, our daily burden, and bears it up with us. That's the kind of God we believe in. 
Um, this is the God, by the way, who builds houses and computer software with us. This is the God who stays up all night with the watchman and the nursing mother. How many of you guys have ever read the book uh, by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God? Anyone ever read that book? Take a second to get a drink here. So, I love that book. I read it. Uh, I read it really hungry to experience more of God going in. And uh, there's a lot of great things about this book. I mean, it's written, it's, was, it, there were these interviews conducted with this monk named Lawrence in the 1600s. And he just had this incredibly rich prayer life and communion with God in his work. And he lived in this, this monastery, and um, he ended up kind of becoming the cook of the community. So he spent a lot of his time cooking and doing dishes. And that's kind of like where he spent most of his work. And um, I remember there were lots of good things, good takeaways I had from reading it. And, uh, but at the same time, I couldn't help but kind of come away from that book thinking, wow, this book would be really helpful if only I was a celibate monk. Not sure I'm going to pull that off. I'm um, already married at this point. Um, and the, the thing is, let's be honest, like, Brother Lawrence was a, a celibate monk. He didn't have the distractions of, of kids and family and, and, and marriage and, and all that. He just had his own life, and he was surrounded by people who devoted their entire life to this pursuit of God in a monastery. And his work was relatively mindless work, like washing dishes and didn't require a ton of focus. And so I'm really glad that he was able to commune with God all day long. But not everyone has that kind of job. Or that kind of life. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Um, and I went into that book thinking like, man, this is, this is what I need. Because I actually, for what it's worth, I encounter God doing the dishes. Um, I really do. Like, when I do the dishes, like, I encounter God. My problem is I never help with the dishes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I really do. I, I really do encounter God doing the dishes. Um, and uh, it's just, you know, it's kind of therapeutic. And I experience the Lord. Um, but in case that ever changes, we have this magnet on our refrigerator. <laughs> the best wedding present we got from one of Jordan's protective friends. Um, Psalm 103, verse 4, continuing to talk about work and prayer and communion just simply says, pretty simple verse, man goes out to his work and to his labor until the end of the day. That most of the day is work, right? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, praying and working are different things. Prayer should not be hindered by work, but neither should work be hindered by prayer. He goes on to say, prayer is entitled to its time, but the bulk of the day belongs to work. And only when each receives its own specific due will it become clear that both belong inseparably together. And I love this. Without the burden of the day, prayer is not prayer. And without prayer, work is not work. Bonhoeffer goes on to say that this must be the kind of thing Paul's talking about when he encourages all believers to pray without ceasing. 
in prayer. So I decided to try this last week. Try what? Praying. Um, <laughs> go easy on me. Um, I did. Prayer, turns out prayer is pretty cool. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, I bet it's really, I specifically praying in more um, conscious ways about how it affects my work. Um, and it's really true that uh, without um, work, uh, prayer isn't really prayer. I mean, work gives prayer its content in so many ways and its meaning, even its urgency, right? I mean, without the burden of the day, whatever that looks like in your life, um, prayer is really impoverished of the ways it's, it comes so near to us. Um, it's also true that without prayer, work isn't work. That unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in what? Vain. That there's a sense in which our work, when it's disconnected from God, is disconnected from ultimate meaning. Is in many ways the point of passages like Psalm 127. Um, because prayer reminds us of God's love for the world. His concern for justice in our workplace. His grace where we are in every moment. His mission to the lost. His provision for you and for your family. And suddenly, work is done in God rather than done in vain. That's the invitation before us as the people of God. And I think, again, this is the idea of what Bonhoeffer means um, when we're called by Paul to pray without ceasing. Um, you don't have to be Brother Lawrence to do this, by the way. I, don't, I hope not. Or else I'm, we're all, most of us are in trouble, <laughs> right? You don't have to be that. But this is, this is, you just have to be a builder, a watchman. People working, people rising up early and going to bed late, as Psalm 127 says. That's the audience here. Um, because the Lord, his presence in our work gives it a sense of ultimate meaning. Um, before I close, I just want to encourage you guys with um, some verses. Can I do that? Just encourage you guys. Um, Ecclesiastes 2, 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. You encouraged yet? Leave it to Ecclesiastes just to kill the mood. Um, I know this isn't the Christian hype verse on Instagram, but one thing I love about Ecclesiastes, and, and maybe you're like me, is Ecclesiastes is honest. I'm not saying the rest of the Bible is not honest, <laughs> but Ecclesiastes is able to be profoundly honest about how uh, depressing work can be, about how incredibly discouraging work can be. Um, and I appreciate that the honesty that Ecclesiastes uh, affords us um, because some people can echo these words, right? I mean, this is, for some people, this is it, right? I mean, work is essentially depressing and exhausting. And even when I get off, I'm not off. Even when I come home, I'm never really free. It's always on my mind, and I just live in this place of restlessness um, all the time. Um, and I think that 
that's many people's stories. You know, someone once said, my boss told me to have a good day, so I went home. <laughs> and maybe that's how you feel. Uh, maybe the home is the place where you find joy. Maybe it's with your family or with your friends um, or leisure time if you can get any. Maybe that's where you find your, your joy. Um, or maybe you don't like your job, but you're, you're grateful for it. And you're grateful for uh, God's provision in your life and for, um, yeah, to, to have work. So, so that's it then. Ecclesiastes tells us that everybody hates their job. Wonderful. Not exactly. If you keep reading, the next several verses are, are saying that some people actually find enjoyment in their work. So verse 24 begins, A person can do nothing better than eat and drink and find satisfaction with their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Remember that phrase. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So I'm going to put verses 24 and 25 back up. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that um, some people find joy in work, and that this is of the hand of God. Like, that's supernatural, essentially, right? That that's God's hand in their life, to find enjoyment, satisfaction in their, in their work and in their toil. And this, is, and this, this verse is interesting to me, and it, it, it will be to you, I think, in a moment, because of the word that's used here. It's not the, norm, it's not the, the generic word for work in the Old Testament. It's the, it's the word that is rightly translated toil, um, it's, it, which is work that's associated in Ecclesiastes with work that is uh, anxiety-producing and often feels pointless, right? Um, and that's really significant because it's important to hear what this verse is not saying. So this verse isn't saying some people have sweet jobs that are super fun and always rewarding. These are the people who find joy in their work. But that's exactly how the world thinks joy in work happens, right? The people who, like, who find joy in their work are people who have the best jobs that are actually kind of fun and are rewarding. That's actually not what the verse is saying. What the verse is saying is this. If I can get that, come on. Some people find enjoyment even in toilsome jobs. This is from the hand of God. I mean, that to me is profound. So it's kind of a given that if you have a sweet job that's fun and always rewarding, you should enjoy it. That's not, that wouldn't even be very encouraging if that was the message. Instead, this is the message. That some people find enjoyment even in toilsome jobs, and God gives it to them. That's profound to me. God matters to our work. And these verses are remarkable, both because of what they're saying and because of what they're not saying, as I'm trying to show us here, that the quality of are of a job may not be the primary factor in finding joy. That some people have joy in a rough job, and some people have no joy in a job that's actually pretty easy and they should enjoy more. Um, but let me say something real quick just to clarify. I'm not saying if you don't enjoy your job, 
that God doesn't like you. I'm, I'm certainly not saying something like that. Um, there's probably going to be a number of factors involved in you finding joy in your work. And um, I want to, first of all, just say, remind us of some of the things we've already heard, of working unto the Lord and diligence in the sermon series. And I think we should also acknowledge that, I mean, your talents and your personality are going to factor in. Um, but if you can work hard, step back from your work, and find satisfaction in your work, then you're reflecting the image of your God who worked, stepped back from his work, and said over it, it's good, it's good, it's very good. To find joy in work is something holy. It's a sacred thing to step back from your work and find pleasure in it. In fact, it's from the hand of God. It's a gift of God's grace. And I'll just say this. This formula is, is not, sorry, I'll say this sermon is not a formula. Because really, there, there are no formulas in the Christian life. This, this sermon is not a formula. The, the last thing you need is for some stupid church pitch about how you should suddenly enjoy your soul-crushing job. Like, I care about you too much to patronize you that way. <laughs> like, I want to be honest, right? Some, some people are, are in soul-crushing jobs. I, I, I have to be realistic. I'm not going to paint some different kind of picture. But Ecclesiastes, I think, speaks to that, that some people are in this toilsome work that creates anxiety. They take it with them oftentimes when they go home, but there's hope for you in that place, right? Um, and that's... That's the, that's the message here that I think is so profound. You know, in all likelihood, there's probably going to be seasons in your life where you find a lot of joy in your work. Um, whether that's because the work you're doing is actually fun or because the work itself, there's a satisfaction you're taking in the work, you're doing it unto the Lord, um, or you're working with really wonderful people, um, or maybe you just are simply able to find joy in the fact that this is God's provision in your life. And there'll be other times and seasons in your life when you hate your job. And let's just, I, I think it's probably better to think about it in, in those terms. If you spend a lifetime hating work, then we can, we can talk about that. But it's okay, I think, if you experience a season when it's harder than other times. Um, and begin to ask, God, what grace might you have for me? in this season, in my work. Um, I want to put Psalm 127, verse 2, up again. I think it's so beautiful. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Um, there's a, a joke that I heard this week about how a new business owner opened up a new business location, and a friend sent flowers to uh, celebrate the, uh, the opening of the new business, and the note on the flower said, rest in peace. The owner was like, oh my gosh. Uh, so he calls, calls the friend up and, and tells him, and the friend's like, you know, really upset, and, and calls the florist to complain about the mistake. And the florist says, sir, I'm really sorry for the mistake, but rather than getting mad at me, consider this. Somewhere today, there's a funeral happening, and the note says, congratulations on your new location. (laughs) 
But I was thinking about that joke and thinking, there's something actually per, like biblical to this. That, that the message in our work is that God calls us to be people of work, but also people who can experience peace, who can experience rest. And what I like about Psalm 127 is Psalm 127 is not addressed to lazy people. Psalm 127 has hardworking people in mind, the kind of people who build houses, the kind of people who stay up all night watching over the city, the kind of people who get up early to start their work day and finish late in the day. And now there are messages to lazy people in the Bible. You can read lots of Proverbs about the sluggard. But Psalm 127 has hardworking people in mind, right? That's, that's the audience here. But what I like about it is it's not this God who's just saying, work hard and be hardworking people and just crush it all day long and just come home depleted, right? No, we have this, this picture of a God who cares about your emotional health, a God who actually wants you to get sleep at night, right? And his, his love for you is that you participate in work with him, but that you also are living a healthy, balanced life. That's, that's what God wants for you, right? Um, by the way, if you've ever had sleepless nights and quoted one, one, Psalm 127.3, it may not necessarily work. I've, I've tried it, like, God, give your beloved sleep, and then I stay up for like three more hours. Um, I think this is more an expression of God's heart. It's not a magic trick. It's not a a good luck charm. This is an expression of God's heart. God wants you to work hard, but also have sleep, have healthy rhythms of life and work. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to rest in peace and experience the joy of work. And he reminds us of this. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. We pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a God who builds houses with us, stays up all night with us in our work, Lord. And God, I ask that we would see your connection to what we do. We would see, Lord, how our work matters to you and how you matter to our work. And God, I just ask for a, a fresh grace. If you just need a fresh grace in your work, just put your hands out in a posture to receive. God, I just ask for a fresh grace over us in our work, and that our eyes would be opened, Lord, to see the ways in which you are with us, Lord, that you are daily, you're with us in our daily burdens, Lord, bearing it, Lord. God, we say we need you. We can't do our jobs without you. That is our confession, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the promise of your presence, Lord. Thank you, God, that when we experience joy and satisfaction in our work, that's from your hand, Lord. We ask to experience more of that, Lord. And God, that you would reaffirm the value of our work. Even toilsome work is valuable, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence in our lives and in our work. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite Scott to come and share some opportunities.